you truly say that tonight, there's nothing or no one else for you but Jesus? Is he everything to you? Does it mean more to you than this old world could ever begin to, uh, to come close, to compare? I hope he's the, he is the delight of your heart. I hope he is the joy, your strength. He's the power. He's what keeps you. He is he's what leads you. He is the light of your soul. He is the light that shines out of darkness into this world that leads his church. I hope you've been enlightened by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I, and I trust that you have because most of you are church members here, so I, I believe that you are. But we're delighted to be in the Lord's house again tonight. It's a joy to, um, to uh, have the opportunity to bring a message the title of our message tonight is the opposition of christ now we as believers we all know that there's opposition in the world we look into the news media and we see opposition on every side we see that there's a there's a spiritual battle going on between right and wrong good and evil we see uh we see uh the uh, we see darkness in high places we see the uh uh the mothers that are demanding their their right to murder their children we are and this sounds cruel but it's the truth i don't want to water it down it's the truth we see people who who just determine you determine one day you can be a girl the next day you can be a boy this is insanity this is in, insanity and these intellectual high class educated people are supposed to try to convince me and you that we're the oddballs that we're the one who have a problem but the truth is they are nuts they're evil they 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 do not have god in their hearts they don't know christ as their personal savior and we're going to get on this tonight talking about some people who don't know god they don't know the lord jesus christ they they have not been regenerated they're not they have not been renewed they're still walking in the darkness of this whole world they're dead in their trespasses they wouldn't know the truth if it hit them between the eyes that's why we we step back and we and we listen to the debates we step back and we watch the news cycle and it's ludicrous at what they're trying to sell you and i the church today And they do their very best to divide the family, to divide the husband and the wife, the men and the women. They're, 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 they're bringing race against one another. They're, bring, they're trying to, div, to, to, to divide, to devour, and to destroy. And that's what Satan came to do, kill, steal, and destroy. So in my mind, I can't imagine any mother for any reason wanting to take the life of her unborn baby. I don't apologize for that, but in my mind, church, we can't support that. I'm not going to get political tonight, but let me tell you, there is a clear choice between right and wrong, and we have to choose what we believe the Lord Jesus Christ would have us to do. And so tonight, I'm glad to say that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ chooses life, and I choose life, and I believe you choose life tonight. But let's not be fooled by the world. They, wanna, they want to... Uh, make us feel like we're the oddballs we're just we're just not loving we're just not kind enough there's nothing kind about destroying a baby but anyway this has nothing to do with my message 
But we're talking about the opposition to Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was presented with much opposition. He came into this world and his own did not receive him. He came into this world and he came as, as, a, as a carpenter's son. He lived a very humble lifestyle. He didn't have a place to lay his own head, the scriptures teach. So our Lord, he didn't come to be glorified of men, but he came to glorify the Father. That's why he came. In the previous verses of chapter 8, we saw the exchange that is going on between the Lord Jesus Christ and the supposed believing Jews during uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. There were those who supposedly believed. And their claim was that, that, that they were not only Abraham's physical children and spiritual children, but they went on so far as to say that we are the children of God. We're the true children of God. And we find in this discourse that a true disciple of Christ will abide in his word. Pastor Steve was talking this morning. You want to hear a voice from God, get into his word. That's where we need to abide. That's where we need to be. You want to know God, get into his word. You don't have to ask me. You can ask me, and I'll tell you the best I can, but, I, but I'm going to point you back to the word of God. That is the place to begin, and that's the place to end. If you want to know God, go into his word. That is the place to go. The one who, habitues, who habitu habitually commits sin is still a slave to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. We're still a slave to sin. If we continue on in the same old sins that we've always lived in, we're still enslaved to sin. It's only the Son of God who can, who can make one free. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that anyone can be made free. And that one is said to be free indeed, according to the Scriptures. Now, we find that there is no benefit and there is no advantage, and we know that in this church there is no benefit or, or advantage to being a Jew or being a Gentile. We know that the Bible teaches that there is no Jew or Gentile, ultimately, but those who claim to be the true children of God were in reality true children of Satan is what we find here. These Jews who claim to be children of God were truly children of Satan. Despite the belief among these self-righteous Jews, like everyone else, must come to hear and must come to heed. We can hear, but we've got to heed. They must come to hear, must come to heed the truth of his holy word. In fact, Jesus clearly states in no uncertain terms that he who is of God hears the words of God. But in contrast, they who want to do the desires of the devil, there is no place for Christ's word in them. Those who desire to do the works of the devil, in this case, their father, then the word of God, they couldn't hear the word of God, they couldn't heed the word of God, they couldn't respond to the word of God because their desire was to do the work of their father, the devil. There was no place for Christ's word in them. That's why he is receiving so much opposition. They were opposing Christ. Any religion that you want to bring up, there is no opposition to it like it is to the Christian faith. Doesn't make any difference. If it's Buddha, doesn't make any difference. If it's Muslim, they're, they're, they do not see the opposition that Christ's church sees today. Now, needless to say, these people, they, they have... They have 
they have a come to Jesus moment here. The Jewish leaders, they were, they were becoming increasingly agitated. They were becoming infuriated by the words of Jesus. Jesus' words were outrageous, and they were, uh, they were oppulsive, repulsive to the offspring of Abraham. These were pagans. These were, these were agnostics. They were infidels of their time, and we have infidels of this time as well. They were appalled. They were appalled by the teachings of the Son of God. And so are these in the world today. Now, when Jesus exposed the true spiritual condition of these apostates, church, there are still apostates in the world. There are many of them today. The Bible teaches that there are many false, uh, uh, false believers. There are many false witnesses among us. There are many false teachers among us. But Jesus exposes these people's true spiritual condition. They were in, a, in an apostate hypocrite, and we find that they were actually the enemy of God, the very God that they claimed was their father. And Jesus even openly declares to them to be children of Satan. You are children of Satan. See, like their father, the devil, they are liars themselves. They're murderers in their hearts. They're enemies of God. Now, let's see how they respond to the Son of God here. Look at this, verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, the unbelieving Jews, they were accusing our Lord of having a demon. Now, this statement is blasphemous in nature. Can you imagine telling the Son of God, you have a demon? That's precisely what they were doing, and it was a blasphemous statement to, to make. And this served to show the outrage of this crowd of Jesus's that declared that they were really children of the devil. So, in response, the Jews call him a Samaritan. Why did they call Jesus a Samaritan? Well, they called Jesus a Samaritan because they knew that that would be repulsive to, to, to him. This is meant to be an insult, you see. To call him a, him a Samaritan was was to call him something that they despised to be themselves. They themselves despised the Samaritans, and they saw them as physical and as spiritual half-breeds. The Samaritans were the descendants of Jews who remained in the northern kingdom after its fall, and they intermarried with pagan religions. Pagans were, transpl they were transplanted there by the Assyrians, and they married up with them. And the Jews avoided dealing with the Samaritans altogether. If you recall, we were talking about when they, when they passed from uh, Judea up to uh, Israel. Here you have, or, or, or uh, Galilee, they have, uh, you have uh, Samaria in between. And the Jews wouldn't even walk, the, the, the devout Jews wouldn't even walk through the countryside of, uh, or they wouldn't travel through the, through the countryside of Samaria. 
because they were so appalled by them. They were half-breeds. They wanted nothing to do with them. They would cross the river and go up, and they'd come back across and bypass Samaria altogether. So the, so the Samaritans, they were, uh, they were despised. If you remember, Jesus had that discussion with, the, with the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she asked Jesus, why do you ask me for a, for a drink of water? You know Samaritans and Jews don't have anything to do with one another. Well, Jesus broke that glass ceiling all to pieces. He asked her for a drink of water. And she could have asked him for a drink of water, the right drink of water, and he would have given it to her. So there was some great opposition going on here. The Jews, they avoided all the dealings, that, dealings with the Samaritans altogether. So for a Jew to call another Jew a Samaritan would have been the ultimate insult until they accused him of having a demon. That was the only thing worse than being a Samaritan was to call our Lord a demon or being possessed of a demon. So Jesus knew that by their calling him a Samaritan, they were calling him a false teacher. They were calling him a traitor of Israel. Basically, you have sided up, you have, you, have, you have crossed over the tracks. You went over there to the Samaritans. You've become a Samaritan on us. You're not a true Jew. But they were accusing him of being not only a traitor of Israel, not only a false teacher, but they're also accusing the Son of God of being an enemy of God by referring to him as a Samaritan. For a Jew to call another Jew a Samaritan as I said, would be an ultimate uh, insult. And this blasphemous accus accusation that Jesus is possessed by a demon is ludicrous. It's unbelievable. This is a man who performed many miracles. Many people had been healed by him. Demons don't heal people, folks. Demons kill people. Demons destroy people. They take up residence in people and cause them to cut themselves and pierce themselves and tattoo themselves and do damage to themselves. That's what demons do. So Jesus didn't have a demon. The scribes had already accused him of being possessed by Beelzebul and of casting out demons by the rulers of demons. But many of the Jews were recorded as saying he has a demon and he is insane. Why do you listen to him? You see, the devil is, is an accuser. We sing a song around here that fears a liar. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. So that comes from Satan. Satan is a liar, and he's a destroyer, and he comes to seek, kill, and steal. Well, they accused John the Baptist of having a, a devil as well. In Jesus' response to his accusers, he didn't acknowledge the Samaritan comment at all, but he went on to say in verse 49, he said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And oh, by the way, and those are my words, he says, you dishonor me. I'm here to tell you tonight, Jesus requires to be honored. He doesn't suggest to be honored. 
He's going to be honored. The Bible says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will be honored by the whole universe. It doesn't make any difference who we are, who we think we are, who we think we're following. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord, folks. Aren't you glad that you serve the Lord, the one true Lord? That's who we serve tonight. That's who we make much of. He's alive and well, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming to bring us home with him one day. Having been called a Samaritan, and by accusing by being accused by them of having a demon. The Lord Jesus, he clarifies what's really happening here. What's really bothering Jesus most here is not the fact that they call him a Samaritan. It's not the fact that they tell him he has a demon. But worse than that is that they do not honor the Father and they do not honor him. So today... We need to honor the Father. We need to honor the Son. We need, to we need to honor our Lord in our lives every day, every moment, wherever we go, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and the rest of the week. He is Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Do you believe that? He is. He's Lord of everything or you're Lord yourself. But it was Jesus who fully honored the Father. He honored the Father completely. It was a voice that came out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Down by the river of Jordan. Jesus honored the Father, while a person who is possessed by a demon could not possibly honor the Father. The Lord said to them in, in verse 50, But I do not seek my glory. This is one, or there is one, who seeks and judges. You see, our Lord, He left the splendor of heaven. You know this. This is Christianity 101. Our Lord Jesus left the splendor and the glory and the radiance and the beauty and the perfection and the peacefulness and the rejoicing of heaven. He left that place. He left His place of divine glory. He didn't come to this earth to be glorified, but he came to be an example to show us how to honor the Father. But he came and he took on dying flesh, and he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to feel rejected. He knows what it is to be abused and ridiculed. We know just a little bit. But he knows fully, I would have never left my place of splendor to come to a world to suffer. And you wouldn't either. But he did. By choice, he did. He didn't come to seek the approval of, of humanity. He didn't come looking for the approval of man. He came to do what the Father had given him to do. But he, he didn't come to seek and save those who were sitting in darkness. Or he did. He came to seek those 
who were sitting in darkness that would have been you and I prior to Christ coming. We would be sitting here in darkness. We would have no idea how we were going to overcome this curse, this fall of man that is cursed to die. And we know that there's a grave that just lies just a little ways down the road for each and every one of us. But we know that through Christ, that is not the end. That's only the beginning. We know that death is a doorway to glory. We know to depart from this life is to be with Christ for all of eternity. Put a price tag on that. You can't. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. This is not a man who seeks his own glory. While we were sitting in darkness, he came to take on the sins of many. He did. He came to redeem his people from slavery of sin. You see, without the, 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 the blood of Christ, without the, the sacrifice that he made, and without him being the redeemer, and without him being the one who, who satisfied the anger and the wrath of God, we would still be sitting in darkness and we would still be a slave to sin and we would still be doomed to death and ultimately hell. That's where we would be heading. But instead, we can stand beside the casket of a loved one who knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and we can ultimately rejoice. Though we, the tears flow with sadness because we lost them in this life, we know that they're in a far greater place. We was at a funeral yesterday where someone had, who, had, who had had cancer, they'd been battling cancer for a long time, they had a heart condition, had been battling that for a long time, had diabetes, had been battling that for a long time, had, they were taking some heavy-duty chemo and were really sick, really, really sick. But he's no longer in pain. He's no longer suffering. I remember Miss Holly come up, coming up and asking the church to pray for her. The tears flowing down her face, and she wanted to live. And how we earnestly prayed, and how we grieved that we lost her. But we know that she's in a far greater place. That makes all the difference. You can't put a price on it. It's priceless. What Christ has given us is glorious. What lies ahead is beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's eternal, and it's going to last forever and ever. But he shed his precious blood, and he drew his last breath of life on the cross of Calvary. On Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago, let us never forget the man who laid down his life for you and me. The nails in the hands and in the feet. The crown of thorns placed upon his head. The scarlet purple robe that was put on him as mockery. And they beat him to a bloody pulp. No greater love has any man than he that is willing to lay his life down. And Jesus did that. There's no greater love that anyone could do for you than that. Mama couldn't do it for you. Daddy couldn't do it for you. But Jesus ultimately did it for you. And, and that settles it once and for all. We've got heaven in sight, church. It's in sight. We won't have to stand up here one of these days and preach about heaven and tell you, get ready for heaven, but we'll be there. Ain't that good? We'll be there. Our reward is just ahead. The Bible tells us to lay up your treasures in heaven. 
I've got a few laid up, I hope. But most of all, I want to see Jesus. He's the greatest treasure of all to me. Got many loved ones there too. But I look forward to seeing everything that God has made. But Jesus wasn't a man, as I said. He's not a man that seeks his own glory. But he's the good shepherd, and he emptied himself of all but love for his sheep. He emptied himself of everything, of his divine glory of heaven, and he died a gruesome death on the cross of Calvary because of love, because of love. So although Jesus didn't receive honor from man, there is one, the Bible says, who seeks honor for the Son. Yes, there is one who seeks honor for the Son, and that is the Father. And the Bible says that he judges. And the Father, he judges rightly. And you know what? He's determined that his Son is worthy of glory. Why did God the Father determine that his Son was worthy of glory? Because he was perfectly obedient he was an, he was a he was a good son he was a perfectly obedient son and he obediently humbled himself even to the point of death as i said on the glorious rugged cross of calvary now look with me in philippians 2 9 it says for this reason also god highly exalted him who's the him jesus for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, and I've already quoted this, every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, that means every single one of them, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now next, Jesus makes a tremendous promise to those who honor him. That's you and me. He makes a glorious promise to those of us who honor him and glorify him by obedience to his call to salvation. He says to them, he says, he says to them here in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. How about that? You'll never see death. You'll never truly experience separation from God, separation from life. You see, he's the, he's the giver of life. He gives abundant life. Beyond this life is a better life, far greater. Now, here's something to hold on to. This is glorious news. What does it mean to keep his word? He says here, to keep his word. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word. Now, what does he mean by keeps my word? Well, to keep his word means to retain it. It means to hold on to it. It means to not let go of it. It means to preserve it, to continue in it. It means to be obedient to it to persist in obedience to his word. Church believers, we need to keep his word close. Keep his word, cling to it as if it means everything to you.
You know something? It's only a child of God who keeps his word. You ever wonder if someone's a Christian or not? Watch their life. It'll show up. Those who keep his word, it'll show up. Those who keep his word know God. I hate to keep reminding or, or, or keep quoting Pastor Steve, but this morning he was talking about, you want to know God? Look into, into the scriptures. Here it is. Be a keeper of his word. Some people read his word and they lay it aside, and I've been guilty myself. And I went and ran life my own way. When done things my own way. But it's only a child of God who keeps his word. As I said, it, to, to keep his word means to be obedient to it, is to, to hold on to it, to preserve it. And such are these who are given this promise to never see death. John 5, 26 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Now John 6, 50 says, This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I like the idea of not dying, don't you? I like the idea of being around. If I'm not here, I want to be in heaven, but I want to be somewhere that's good. To never see death means to never come into judgment. There are those that are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And that's not anywhere that we want to ever be. The church won't be in the great white throne judgment. We will be before the, be the bema seat of God but not the great white throne judgment. But the Bible teaches that, that we'll never come into, into that kind of judgment as believers, to never be separated from God. And it means that we'll be alive forevermore. Congratulations. If you believe in Christ, you're alive forevermore. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Those are not just empty words. That's the truth. It has no victory over the believer in Christ. It's powerful to live for Christ, to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. The world tries to weaken it down. It's because they don't understand it. But it's powerful. To never see death is a wonderful thing. But verse 52 says, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Let me say that right. Now we know you have a demon. We know that you have a demon. Abraham died in the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. We know you have a demon now. You proved it. Again, we hear the blasphemous utterances of these pagan men who just earlier claimed to believe. They just earlier claimed to be children of God. These are these that claim that our Lord is a demon or, or he's demon-possessed. Yet it is they who are not moved one bit by the wonderful promises of Christ. No believer is going to see death. Why? Because believers have been born again of incorruptible seed. We've been made new. We've been given a new life. It's a done deal. It's ever recorded in heaven. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. That settles it. 
You're good. You're ready. You're prepared. Now stay focused. Death cannot extinguish those who are united in Christ. Death is simply the passageway into the heavenly kingdom. So, you know, we spend fortunes trying to live. We spend fortunes trying to stay healthy. Gym memberships. I had a gym membership for about 10 years. I only went about six years, but I had, a, I had the, the, the gym membership for 10 years trying to stay healthy. We get sick, we go to the doctor because we want to live. We try to eat the right foods because we don't want to let the cholesterol get too high. We don't want to let the blood pressure get too high. We have to keep things regulated so that we can live. We put our seatbelt on so that we're not in a car crash and we get thrown through the windshield and die. We want to live. We want to live for our children. We want to live for our family. And we should want to live. But ultimately, we've been given life new restored forever never to be taken away stolen away by the curse by sin that brings about death we've been released of that you're no longer slaves to that this is good news good news roman 8 10 says if christ is in you though the body is dead because of sin you hear that if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ's righteousness has made us alive, never to be extinguished. But Jesus' opponents could not perceive any hope of deliverance from death. They only saw death ahead they didn't see any hope beyond the tomb because such things are spiritually discerned they were spiritually dead we know there's life beyond this world but those who are dead in their trespasses and they, their, their minds have not been awakened their eyes have not been opened their ears have not been able to hear they see no hope that's why they live life to the fullest that's why they seek for all they can, can all they get, right? And sit on the can. It is. And it's pitiful. And they can't completely help it. Because the Bible says that the Spirit must draw them. Church, we need to pray that the Spirit would draw those that, that are blind, that are lost, out in sin. Spiritual blindness. As spiritually dead men, the Jews present or they present with two challenging questions here in verse 53 look at this he said surely you're not greater than our father abraham this is these are the jews talking surely you're not greater than our father abraham who died the prophets died too whom do you make yourself out to be in other words who do you think you are you're not better than our fathers are you they try to obscure the glory of christ by the splendor of abraham and of the saints you know something? Christ is the greater light. He is. He is the light of the world. He said himself with his own lips, I am the light of the world. Come follow me. You know, I was thinking about it the other day when I was working on this message. He's the light of the world. He tells us to follow him. We know the world is dark. We need light to lead us 
and show us the way, and we follow Christ, we don't get in front of him because we'd be in front of the light. So we're, we're standing behind him, he's got the light, and he's bringing us through the darkness. He is the light of the world. Other than him, the world is dark, and there's no hope beyond him. But the world tries to obscure the glory of Christ each and every day. By the splendor of Abraham and of the saints here, these men were trying to do that. Christ is the greater light, as I said, and he is the light of the world. In fact, men sit in complete and utter, utter darkness. Did you know that? Except for the light of Christ. If you believe in Christ tonight, believe this. It's because he awakened you to the truth. You're not here because you're a good person. You're not here because you're a good little boy, a good little girl. You're not, you're not here because you have good morals. What draws you here is the Spirit of God. What brought you to a place of repentance was the Spirit of God. That's the gift. There it is. We could not want this gift if it weren't for His Spirit drawing us. Does that make sense? Y'all believe that? I know you do. But his spirit draws us, and that is the gift that he's given us. Now, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus said there is none greater than John the Baptist. Remember that? So there's none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist testifies of him, in John, of Christ, in John 1.26. John answers him saying, he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of his, those sandals, I am not worthy to untie. You see, John the Baptist had, had given testimony of the greatness of Jesus. And these men knew it. These Jews knew it. They had heard of the great miracles. They, they heard his words of wisdom and truth. Yet they found accusation against him. Falsely so. After, their, after his submersion in the river of Jordan, God the Father, he spoke from the portals of glory, and he said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He didn't say, I'm kind of pleased with him. He didn't say, oh, he's a pretty good boy. He says, I am well pleased. And it was an audible voice. It could be heard even with the signs that he performed and with his great words of wisdom like no other man has ever uttered, mankind with hardened heart and rebellious hearts, they reject Christ. 2,000 years later, they're still rejecting this man named Jesus. They're appalled at him. He is grotesque to them. They become completely agitated anytime you speak of him publicly. That lets us know we're on the right track. I didn't need their confirmation, by the way, but I think it just gives us a little more confirmation. Jesus calmly and patiently re reiterates to these men again. In verse 54, he says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now, throughout the Gospel of, of John, we find that the Father sent his Son. We know that the Father sealed his Son. And we know that the Father taught His Son, He commanded His Son, and He bore witness to His Son. 
We know that he loves his son. We know that he delights in his son. And yes, he honored and he glorified this man, his son, Jesus. And of course, Jesus honored the Father in every way possible, completely obedient to him. Now, the claims that Jesus made were not those of a person who's demon-possessed. The glory of Christ was not that of a demon, but that of the Son of God. His glory was, His glory was by His eternal relation to His heavenly Father, the very one of whom the Jews claimed, He is our God. That was nonsense. He was not their God. There are many today. I don't know if y'all watched the debates of the night, and I won't get political, but if you watched the debates, there were some that said, oh, I, we have faith. We have faith. How dare you question my faith? What's your faith in? That's, that's the real question. What is your faith in? Who are you believing in? It doesn't matter that you have faith in just any old thing. If it's not in the Lord Jesus Christ, you just will not have no faith at all. It'll do you no good. It will prove not profitable. So when you hear someone say, I'm a person of faith, listen a little closer. Listen a little closer. Who do you have faith in? I have faith in different things, but there's only one that I have true faith in, and that's Christ, in Christ alone. But it was nonsense that while they claimed to know God, they were using blasphemous words of rejection of his very son. Now I'm about to wind down. Now what does Jesus do in response? Jesus plainly points out the obvious to these children of Satan by saying in verse 55, And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. These are strong words. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Many today, like these Jewish leaders, are delusional. They claim to know Christ. They profess to know God. But in reality, they deny him and are enemies of his. Because their desire is of their father, the devil. So Jesus pressed them. Even though their blood was boiling with anger, the Lord pressed them anyway. And the Lord refused to back down or deny that he knew the father. He knew they were lying, and Jesus didn't back down for a second. For if he denied knowing God, he would, he would have been a liar the same as they were. He would have made himself out to be a liar, but he knew him. And Jesus knew the Father in a profound and eternal oneness. He knew the Father perfectly, as only the Son of God can. So although they were rejecting Jesus, Jesus pointed out, in verse 56, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced. He rejoiced to see my day. Your father Abraham was looking forward to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw in his son Isaac the beginning of God's fulfillment. In his son Isaac, he saw the beginning of God's fulfillment of his covenant with him, which would culminate in the coming of the Messiah the Messiah was due to come and Abraham rejoiced he was glad in it in fact we find that Abraham prophetically saw and he welcomed Christ 
He welcomed the day that Christ was, com was to come. He stated it here in Hebrews 11, 13, or, or actually it, it's recorded here in 11, 13, that it was stated in the old prophets. It says, all these died in faith, having received the promises, by having seen them at a distance, having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. I hope that you can see the promised land from a distance. I hope that you can see the joys of the Lord from, the, from a distance. What keeps you hungry? What keeps you thirsty? What keeps you searching? What keeps you longing and looking for the coming of Christ? Because you know that just beyond, just beyond this world, just on the other side, there's something far greater. Here once more, the Lord gives a constant, or he gives a contrast between the, between the behavior of his opposers with the, with the behavior of Abraham. You see, they wanted to murder the very one whom Abraham rejoiced. Abraham rejoiced, and they wanted to kill him. Verse 57 says, So the Jews said to him, you are yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. This is a full-blown claim of deity. I hope you see that. He is the I am. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was in the beginning with God. The very God that they claimed to know was the very God that they longed to stone in the next verse. You didn't know Christ is eternal. Christ is timeless. Some people, they worship the little baby Jesus. We, we saw in the video this morning the, the little child that was praying to the little baby Jesus. I'm glad he's not a baby, but I'm glad that, that he came and he died on the cross of Calvary. A gruesome death for you and I and he is on high he is at the right hand of the father he is in full power in full radiance in full glory never to have to die once again fully aware of this claim to be God these men they fly into a rage the Bible says here in verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We see the same outrage today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. The very one that they wanted to stone. In his father's house are many mansions. And he's coming again. Let us not lose sight of that. He's coming again, and he's coming for a prepared people. He's coming for his bride. You, his church. Are you glad? Are you anxious to see him? Do you long to see him? I believe you do. You look, you look out over the world today. You, you look at the fields. They're ripe, but the laborers are few. 
We see people who are in desperate need for salvation and they have no idea. They're lost and out in sin. And I believe in, in the coming in the coming generations, if Christ doesn't return at any moment very soon, that there's going to be a persecution upon the church. The churches are going to be persecuted. The Bible teaches that birth pains will take place and ultimately uh, we know that the end will come. Stand with me if you will tonight. Before we close or, or go to the Lord in prayer, I'd like to uh, ask you guys, if you are you all, if you have a... Uh, I've still got some names that I wrote down last week, and I like mentioning names in prayer. The Bible says...